Marcus McAllister. Today's guest leads McAllister Consultancy and Training. He is a nationally recognized expert in community violence interruption. Formerly incarcerated, he became the National Training Director and Implementation Specialist for Cure Violence Global. He'll share insights about his work and his superpower. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show, where we empower you. Marcus, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I am so excited to talk to you about your incredible work. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here, Devin. Well, as we think about some of the challenges, difficulties, and uh, problems in our country, one of the top, top problems is violence. And you are working right in kind of in the throat of that battle to reduce violence in communities. And you've become one of the most recognized leaders in this space in the country. Tell us a little bit about your work and how you got into it. Yes, yeah, a great question. So I've been in the work now about 21, 22 years uh, that I've been involved in um, violence prevention work, intervention work. And I started my career in Chicagoland uh, working early on for an organization called Ceasefire, which changed its name to Cure Violence, um, ran by an epidemiologist named Dr. Gary Sluckin. And, I, and the work found me. I, I, it was something that I never thought that I would be doing. It wasn't on my wish list to be working in a field of kind of like, you know, social work and trying to change behaviors associated with violence in the community. And so it, it really just found me um, and I found myself in it. And here I am 20 plus years later, still involved. As you mentioned, I worked all over the country and starting in Illinois, obviously, but I worked throughout the country because I became a national um, trainer and, and implementator of the work throughout the country. Yeah, uh, that's fantastic. As you think about this work, um, how do you connect or or can you connect this work to uh, police reform issues? It seems to me that these are these are sort of two different worlds, but they're colliding at times, right? As we talk about violence intervention and police reform, how do you think about those dynamics there? Yeah, I mean, I think like the, the collision, as you mentioned, comes from, in some cases, just a lack of understanding what it is that we do. I think most of the country understands what law enforcement does and what their job is, um, but the, uh, most of the country is not really abreast of when you think of public safety and you think of what we call community-based violence intervention or CVI, which is kind of like a national terminology that um, this administration and White House kind of um, deem. But it's basically, um, for lack of a better word, police in our own community with respect to violence. And I think I need to be clear on that because the work we do is centered only around that. It's not like we're going out and we are like the neighborhood watch doing every little thing, like far as you know, people that might have stole something or if they're selling drugs and all these other factors that or things that law enforcement, you know, they deal with that in all categories. We stick to one category and it's um, it's really diffusing conflicts in communities where a person would be from who has, who's native to that um, community and using him or her's history, their past, their lived experience to kind of be that inroad, um, you know, to be able to get in and diffuse situations. Devin, I, I speak a lot of different conferences about this topic. And one of the things that I always um, pose to my audience, 
I would ask an audience of you know people from all uh, walks of life, and I ask them, do they believe that people in communities across this country, and specifically Black and Brown, disproportionately affected communities, do they believe that disrespect can get you killed? And I tell you, unanimously, almost everyone raises their hand because they can all think of a situation, whether we, we agree with it or not, they can think of situations where a, a, just a little disrespect turned into somebody being shot especially with young people across this country. So my next question is I ask them, I say, hey, well, how many people in the room raise their hand if disrespect is against the law? And almost 99% of them, no one raises their hand. So we just established that everyone believes that something as simple as, simple as disrespect gets have shootings, they get escalated into more homicides in the inner city, and then yet it's not against the law. So with that being said, if that's the case, if it's not against the law, but yet we know it can get people killed, you have to have specialized type of work, which we do to handle, and I'm just using it as an example, the disrespect before it gets to the point of being uh, multiple homicides or things of that nature. So we kind of police the disrespect. We get in front of things before they happen. And the only way we're able to do that, when I say we, I'm talking about my comrades across the country that are involved in CVI, me playing a big role because I help launched this movement um 20 something years ago and a train numerous localities and municipalities in this work but it's about getting what we call credible messengers i was once a violence interrupter an outreach worker someone that was mediating and trying to diffuse situations in my community 20 years ago when i started in this work and transitioned into where i'm at today um as you said a leader in this space and running my own company to help this movement yeah uh so part of that credible interrupter status comes uh, it, sort of defined by people having right credibility in the community, right? And part of that sometimes is people who have been involved in in violence. And I I think you had a connection to that. I I, I think you spent some time. You were incarcerated for a while. Uh, tell us a little bit about the connection between time served and credibility and uh, and all of that well yeah i mean it's it's a, it's a matter of relatability i mean i i being for someone that at the age of 18 being in community situations that can lead to gunplay that have led to gunplay that wind up ultimately getting you locked up um good for me that and nothing that i was involved in in my lifetime got anybody killed but you know maybe that was a blessing from god he was slowing me down to 18 so i didn't um, step over that factor. But the reason we like to use people who've been through it because they're the best ones to be able to get in. And, and, and at the end of the day, in most of these communities and where I come from, everyone knows who's what. They know who in the neighborhood got a temper. We know who in the community has probably already been to jail in the past for shootings. We know in the neighborhood who everyone's afraid of. You know in the neighborhood who's selling drugs or whatever the case may be. When you are a native to that community and you know these individuals and they know you, they know you're not the police, that doesn't mean we don't address it. Somebody has to address it. But in some cases, it just can't be the police because one, they won't be able to get the information. And two, the difference between what we do in CVI and maybe what law enforcement may do, which there's a job for them to do. I'm by no means am I anti-police. But I'm saying is that we are not out there basically trying to find somebody who's committed a crime and lock them up. We're trying to get in front of things to stop those disrespects that are the little forest fire that can turn into a multi-fire. And one last thing I'll say about that. What about 
even when something happens, when someone is shot in a neighborhood in this country, especially in the inner city, that maybe the police were looking for the person that shot the person and they have a focus. They're looking for the, um, the aggressor. Well, as people that I train and the work we do, they have to deal with the families, the brothers, the upset cousin who's mad that his nephew's been shot. There's a, there's a, a time frame of retaliation. And if you don't have people to address those issues as well, then you get you get shooting on top of shooting because we look at violence from a health lens. The way we were brought up and learned about this work, violence is a public health issue. So it spreads from one person to, um, to the next. And a lot of my trainings, we talk about how easy it is for you to get someone upset and they don't even know what you're upset about. But if they're your friends, if they're in your, like for instance, I can come home from work and I can be talking about my boss or something of that nature. And my kids can be seven and eight and they don't know my boss, but they have, I've, I've infected them where they don't like my boss. Now they're not gonna do anything to my boss, but imagine in the streets, when you come back and you infecting your friends and stuff about what might have happened or you're upset with somebody and disrespected you. And so that happens a lot and you gotta have credible messengers. And I wanna throw a word in there that I learned when I was training in New York, they gotta be suitable. So it's it, just because you went to jail and you got lived experience, you were X this, X that, that doesn't automatically make you qualified to do this work. You have to be done with the life. Now, we're not saying that you are um, re re denouncing and you don't, you don't uh, be with these certain individuals no more or have those relationships, but you cannot still be in the life. You have to be somebody that they knew once upon a time was in the life, like myself, has good credibility to be able to speak to the people you know and to steer them in a different direction because you know what it's like. You've been there. You know, it cost you, cost me 10 years of my life just making bad decisions um, and things that could have led to more drama in my life if I would have got caught up later in life. Yeah. Marcus, as you think about this work, I, I want to get just a tiny bit more granular and, and talk right. about the, the core trainings that you're doing to teach people how to help others so that this virus doesn't spread. And, and you, you kind of started us down that path, describing the way an infection might start by, by talking bad about someone, perhaps behind their backs, but other people hear your disregard, your disdain, your resentment for someone, perhaps over a fleeting situation. But it's kind of a permanent <clears throat> marker uh, for the other folks in the room. Oh, he talked about Bob. Bob is bad. Now I know Bob is bad. Oh, good. I'm glad I know this information. Mm -hmm. how, what do you do to address that? Uh, and what other tactics do you use? Well, uh, some of the things that we train on in, in my company that I have today, we train on mediation, engaging the highest risk, conflict resolution skills, uh, risk reduction plans, how to identify who's high risk, who fits the criteria. We have what you call a um, a criteria of different factors that can make someone high risk. And if you kind of um, are checking off the boxes for so many of them, then we know that person would be someone that we want to work with long-term. Because not only are we trying to intervene in initial conflicts or things that for retaliation or stopping things from getting out of hand, we also want to be proactive and to be able to identify individuals that fit the criteria. And then we start to work with them and train on what that looks like to be able to take them to the wraparound service and keep that person. You're, you're almost like a combination of a mentor 
In some cases, you're almost like a probation officer, even though we're not probation officers. In some cases, you're even like the military. And what I mean by it is that we map out our target areas. We put on a map what group is over here, what's going on in this section, because we have to be informed just like everyone else. The only difference is we don't have guns and bulletproof vests. So the only thing we have is our ability to utilize our friendships, our inroads, which we call them, those that we have inroads with, and just the skills that they learn, not just from me, but even some of it is already innate in them. You just got to bring it out. I mean, because I thought about my life, there was things that I mediated while I was incarcerated. And sometimes you mediate things because it's to your benefit. I mean, if I didn't mediate certain situations while I was incarcerated, we all get on lockdown. We're all messed up. We're all in the hole. We're all, you know, getting more time or whatever it may be that things break out. And it's the same thing in the, in the communities we serve. I mean, it affects everyone. So, you know, when I started to diffuse situation, I wasn't just doing it for me. I was doing it for my whole community because I knew that this thing, whether it's on your back step or not, if you live in the community, I mean, it affects you one way or another, just the, 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 the thought of trauma. Even where I live at right now, we had a teacher that was shot um, away from school, obviously off a female teacher was shot by um, you know, a young man, uh, unfortunate indeed. But those type of things traumatize the community as well. Cause you know, like you're like, wow, I mean, what's next? I mean, people shot at funerals, they shoot at all type of things. But um, the, the key is, to train credible individuals who are suitable who still, and let them start to diffuse a lot of situations. I mean, I can't tell you how much that would decline because it's almost the same, like a friend of mine said on documentary one time, you can't get credit for what never happened. We know we're putting out fire. That's why we document these things. And we know it could have led to a homicide, but no one would know that. It's not like the news is coming in and catching every time I go sit down with a high risk guy who's telling me that, you know, about something that happened and how he plans to get some revenge or whatever it may be, he's upset. And I diffuse that situation, one, based off my relationship with him, two, allowing him, you know, we do what you call motivational interviewing and reflective listening. So we become that mirror and we train on this, I train on this to be reflective of what they're saying, to try to bring some sense to it. The one thing we don't do is just go in and say, oh, you can't do that, you know, because everyone's done that, right? They used to ask me, yeah. what is our, Everyone's done like what you can't do. Your teachers have said that, your pastors, um, the po police, society. But these are a different group of individuals that's talking to them now. These are people that were two or three steps removed from where they used to be that individual. So there's a level of, well, you know where I'm coming from. You can speak to that, you know. Well, that's that's a key, key point. Uh, one of the things that you shared with me before we started recording was this uh, the, the idea that what we're seeing in this uh, community violence interruption arena is uh, a need for sort of constant refreshing. Yes. That uh, stagnant approaches stop working. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you keep refreshing the strategies. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's you know, we do a thing called... Um, in this work, cognitive behavioral therapy uh, or CBI, cognitive behavioral intervention, you know, um, trying to refresh the way we think about things and how we respond to things. You know, like if some, some things become the norm, right? You know, things become the norm, it's the way you've always responded. Um, and sometimes people need to be like, they need to be steered and know that that is kind of not what we're on no more. And here's a great example. Of, of someone like myself, or I always use like to use example. I worked in Baltimore in this work, and I don't know if you ever seen a show called The Wire. 
HBO The Wire was a very popular show on HBO. It was, it was created. And one of the gentlemen that they made The Wire after became a violence interventionist. And, you know, from somebody that they made a documentary about, he's, you know, was violent in his past. He has the ability to, to rewire and refresh people's mind state about that you can, you know, change for a better, a lack, better lack of words, change the way you are. I mean, to be able to know that there's hope in, you know, coming out of a situation, you do not have to respond the way that you've been responding and everyone else responds to violent situations. I mean, you cannot take back a life um, once it happens. And so a lot of times, if, if that's what you were asking, as far as like changing that mentality, because we're trying to change the behavior. I can mediate all the conflicts in the world, which I plan to do. I plan to train on. But ultimately, we're trying to change the behavior associated with it. Whereas that because even though we're peacemakers, we get out, we tra- we do our work, we do have good results. We can't live with the participant. We, we're not there 24-7. So if you're not working to change their behavior, and that comes with doing a lot of personal interaction so they can see that if you change, then they can change. A lot of times they say, hey, I want to do what you do. How do I become a peacemaker? They're paying for that job. you know, And, like, and, and, and it's, it's exciting to be able to give them a job in this space because it's, it's, it's the thing that I fell in love about the work. Yeah, we're saving lives. And I think that's great. But we also are changing and creating a workforce that everyone gave up on. See, I'm, a, I'm, I'm somebody that has been incarcerated. I've been involved in gangs and different things in my life in the past. And many job people gave up on me. Many people go with the fact that you've been locked up. You're going to get locked up again. Whereas this work opens up a whole new realm of accountability. You know, the Department of Justice came to visit us years ago. And they called this type of work one of the best re-entry works in the country because you you start to do something that's bigger than you. You're using you find yourself in spaces you never would have been in. I mean, I've never never thought that I would be seeing mayors and working with aldermen's and you know and city officials because this work affects everybody, obviously. And you know, someone like myself never saw nothing like that until I started to do the work, and then it became second nature because you become like superheroes of your community because you're trying to put out situations that you know you in the past might have even played a role in happening yeah that's inspiring and it's as you think about all the things you've accomplished uh you know the the incredible life change you made for yourself the lives you have saved and the lives you have changed over the last 20 plus years that's that's amazing what is your superpower Wow. I, I, first of all, that's why I love your um, your podcast and the, the name of it, you know, Superpowers for Good. And um, I'm, I, I would say that I have a few of them, but the one that sticks out to most with me, and I, I realized that um, I have a, a, a optimism is such a superpower that I possess. Like, I'm not a negative person. I don't like to dwell on negativity. I like to find answers. And what is the positive in the situation? And I've been like that since I was little. It's been something that you know is in you. So even when I was incarcerated, I didn't want to be locked up. I didn't want to be in the situation I was in. But I started to say, well, hey, you know, I have this much time. This person's never coming home. Or, you know, I just try to find things. And so even in this space, you know, I come across a lot of people that are upset about things and you train them on things. And you have to show them sometimes and the 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 good in situations, you know. So I, I consider myself like a as what's the word they use a whistleblower. I'm a good whistleblower. I I, I whistleblow about all good things. I'm a the cup is half full, not half empty to me. And I, I just operate like that. And um, I remember going to South Africa, 
And I had been doing a lot of trainings in this work. I trained all over the country, United States and some of the roughest communities. And, and you know, you're meeting the rough around the edges, hardcore individuals. And I went to South Africa and I did a training over there twice. And I was over there for about three weeks. And after I was done, some of the South African delegation, different ones that were, um, I guess, in city government there in South Africa, they pulled me to the side and they were like, we've never seen this South African team open up. And these were like gangsters that changed their life. They were credible messengers, but from their area, they never seen them open up the way they did with me. And that really hit me because it's one thing for me to do it in the States. I can, I'm from here. I can, um, you know, I can relate to United States stuff and this and that. But when you go to another country and the same vibe, the same thing I get when I do sessions around the country happened when I was in South Africa. It told me that there was something that God had put inside of me that, um, and I, and I, I think optimism is at its core. I mean, love, I have a love for people um, of all colors, race, sizes, creeds, you know, it's, it's just a natural ability that I have. And I'm able to inspire people, um, not knowing the, the, the heights that God was going to take me and that I would be able to even refer back and say, here's an individual that um, was incarcerated, you know, didn't know what he was going to do when he came home. I, I don't have anybody's major degree, but I've been to the White House. I've, I've been a keynote speaker at Yale Law School. I mean, this it blows my mind when I'm even saying it now to you, because one, it's not something that I never thought that I would be doing, but my trajectory has been um, been amazing. But my superpower has helped me to get there. And that that one has been optimism and then possessing a lot of love for um, my fellow man. Yeah, I, I think that combination of love and optimism is extraordinarily powerful. I wonder if you can think about a time when when you deployed that superpower of optimism and love in a specific circumstance and had an outcome that you're proud of. Yeah, um, you know, I had a situation years ago where a guy had um, beat a guy upside the head with a pistol real bad, and um, he reached out to me. And at this point, he was trying to see if I would, if I call myself a violence interrupter peacemaker, here's your opportunity. He explained to me what happened, the individual that he had uh, beat upside the head with a pistol. He didn't want that guy to come back to kill him, or he didn't want to have to kill him if he did. But yet he was the one that was the aggressor. So I knew both parties involved. Um, that was the work we do. That's the work we train on. That's why I said native to the community. And I remember going and talk to the guy that had been kind of, you know, beat, hit upside the head bad with this pistol. And I thought to myself, you know, what am I going to tell somebody who just been hit upside the head? You know, most people want to get some good from good back. But all I could think about was trying to pull the positive out to him and let him see how things, one, how they could have been worse, how they can get worse. I mean, not that I was condoning him getting hit, but he could have been dead. We know of other situations, they both were intoxicated with alcohol. You know, we know that situations like that don't always just have to wind end up with someone to be here. And thank God that I'm even here to talk to you because if not, then the person, some people are paranoid. So they might see you again and think that, hey, they, you're going to come after them. So I found myself in a positive situation, just talking to both sides, letting them know that they were friends, letting them know that there's, you know, that things could have been much more worse. We have the opportunity now. No one's shot. No one's, you know, yes, you're bruised up. It's more so your pride. You know, um, your pride is more bruised than anything. It wasn't like, you know, something life-threatening where, you know, he lost an arm or couldn't hear anymore. I thought that it was just, you know, very um, lumped up and I'm not making fun of it. I'm saying, but it's something that, 
you know, as hard as it is, you have to believe in your superpower. So you have to be able to still find positive things and tell them. Most people say they don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. If you have the right superpower and you're able to do it, they will hear it. And for now, your superpower will break down their power of thinking that there's nothing nobody can tell me. So all I did was take the time to um, point out all the positives that were thinking how things could have been. One, how they can be if you continue to think that this is something that you need to pursue to get some revenge or maybe him get revenge. And to be thankful that you had me as your peacemaker at the time that can go back and talk to both sides. And these two individuals are friends today, but it wasn't like an overnight thing. But, you know, I, I, that's one story I can remember where I felt very oh, good. That's a great one. It made me feel good, you know. A great story. Great story. Just exactly apropos. We just have a minute left, but can you quickly give us a couple of tips for being more optimistic and loving? Yes, man. So one of the things is that I always say um, that th there's always good to be found. You just have to want to find it. You have to train your mind and brain to be able to want to find the good in situations, even at the point of when you don't feel like it. it at the end of the at the end of the day, it's going to help you out in the long haul. And so, you know, I just you have to practice it like with anything. You have to get stronger at it. You have to practice. You have to feed it. And some things don't have to be as extreme of the others. It could be something about, you know, you missed the flight that you should have made. Well, I tell myself, well, maybe it wasn't meant me to get there. And I try to find out what reasons would be beneficial that I missed this flight. Most people don't take the time to do that. I would say practice on all levels, no matter what it is. And just practice it. And before you know it, it'll become your second nature. And then, you know, you you become good at it. And that, that way, when something serious happens that, you know, that maybe is a little higher on the, on the chart, you'll find yourself responding positively because you practice so much on the on the, on the smaller things that may happen in life. Um, you're late to something, as I say, or, or you know, you, uh, you lost your job. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're still able to go find another job and, you know, or whatever it may be. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, thank you so much. Mark, before we wrap up, I wonder if you would just take a minute and tell people how they can learn more about you and your work, how they can connect with you and, uh, you know, hire you. <laughs> Amen. Yes. yes. So, I'm, so I, I'm definitely, I have my website. It's um, www.marcus, I mean, um, www.mcallister, M-C-A-L-L-I-S-T-E-R, consult c-o-n-s-u-l-t.com that's that's www.mcallister my full last name consult just a t at the end dot com that's one way i'm on instagram i travel quite a bit i'm gonna be in miami i'm just coming up monday um and i can follow me on instagram at, at marcus m-a-r-c-u-s mccall m-c-a-l-l -L. those are two of my main ways to get a hold of me my website my instagram um, i'm pretty accessible so if you if you reach out to me in a message or message me, I will get back. And um, I would love to be of any assistance to anybody out there, any municipality, city or group that is wanting to know more about community violence intervention, how they can, you know, eradicate violence in their community or work on diffusing it and reducing it. And that's what I do for a living. I'm at McAllister Consultancy and Training. I really appreciate this opportunity, Devin, to speak to your audience. Um, and, and, you know, we want this to be something that everyone cares about. You know, um, I, I stay here in, in, in Illinois. But right down the street from me is a um, community called Highland Park. We recently had a mass shooting that happened last 4th of July, where um, and I was marching in Highland Park three, um, a week before 4th of July. 
and here this situation happened a week after and I just happened to not go to the 4th of July walk but I could have easily been out there and um, could have been shot myself and so I'm just always here to help and I would love for people to reach out give me your thoughts um, and what you think and I'm definitely would love to network with people more interested in learning more. Fantastic. Marcus, thank you so much for being with us. We want to see you succeed in every conceivable way. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much, Devin. It truly was an honor. All righty. Let's do some good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit devonthorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.